This is Shakespeare Closely Read. I'm your host, Mark Naftal. Let us now continue with a Christmas Carol bonus episode. We are now with the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And in the last episode, we just heard two businessmen talking obliquely about someone who was gone. Scrooge was at first inclined to be surprised that the spirit should attach importance to conversations apparently so trivial. But feeling assured that they must have some hidden purpose, he set himself to consider what it was likely to be. They could scarcely be supposed to have any bearing on the death of Jacob, his old partner, for that was past. And this ghost province was the future. Now that's capital letter P in past and capital letter F in future. Back to the text. Nor could he think of anyone immediately connected with himself to whom he could apply them. But nothing doubting that to whomsoever they apply, they had some latent moral for his own improvement. He resolved to treasure up every word he heard and everything he saw, and especially to observe the shadow of himself when it appeared. For he had an expectation that the conduct of his future self would give him the clue he missed and would render the solution of these riddles easy. Um, Of course, he's not considering what uh, the future that the ghost is in fact showing him. But nevertheless, this does show some improvement on Scrooge's part, and that he at least uh, wants to improve. Back to the text. He looked about in that very place for his own image, but another man stood in his accustomed corner. And though the clock pointed to his usual time of day for being there, he saw no likeness of himself among the multitudes that poured in through the porch. Uh, capital letter P in, in porch. I worked for a while in London, and the businessmen, particularly in the insurance trade, still stand on street corners in the city, capital letter C, uh, to do business. Um, So it's interesting that that tradition at least continues on. Back to the text. It gave him little surprise, however, for he had been revolving in his mind a change of life, and thought and hoped he saw his newborn resolutions carried out in this. Okay, so uh, Scrooge seems to be saying that he was not there doing business uh, on Christmas Eve, so maybe that showed that he'd, he'd gotten better. So again, a little Dickens gives a little indication that uh, Scrooge is at least uh, wanting to reform. Quiet and dark beside him stood the phantom with its outstretched hand. When he roused himself from his thoughtful quest, he fancied from the turn of hand and its situation in reference to himself that the unseen eyes, capital letter U, capital letter E, were looking at him keenly. It made him shudder and feel very cold. They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of the town where Scrooge had never penetrated before. Although he recognized its situation and its bad repute, the ways were foul and narrow, the shops and houses wretched, the people half-naked, drunken, slipshod, ugly, Alleys and archways, like so many cesspools, disgorge their offenses of smell and dirt and life upon the straggling streets, and the whole quarter reeked with crime, with filth, and misery. Okay, notice Dickens there um, links um, disgusting things, cesspools, smell, dirt, with life itself. Interesting. Back to the text. Far in this den of infamous resort, there was a low-browed beetling shop below a penthouse roof where iron old rags, bottles, bones, and greasy offal were brought. Upon the floor within were piled up heaps of rusty keys, nails, chains, hinges, files, scales, weights, and refuse iron of all kinds. 
uh, rather sounds like uh, the chain that Jacob Marley was dragging about in which he told him that Scrooge was making his own. Back to the text. Secrets that few would like to scrutinize were bred and hidden in mountains of unseemly rags, masses of corrupted fat, and sepulchers of bones. Sitting in among the wares he dealt in by a charcoal stove made of old bricks was a greasy-haired rascal, nearly seventy years of age, who had screened himself from the cold air without by a frowsy curtaining of miscellaneous tatters hung upon a lime, and smoked his pipe in all the luxury of calm retirement. Scrooge and the phantom came into the presence of this man, just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop. But she had scarcely entered when another woman similarly laden came in too, and she was closely followed by a man in faded black, who was no less startled by the sight of them than uh, they had been upon the recognition of each other. After a short period of blank astonishment in which the old man with the pipe had joined them, they all three burst into a laugh. Okay, I've seen this played uh, like in the Muppet Christmas Carol, where uh, the person, the fence, if you will, here uh, was an actual spider. He's usually uh, portrayed as a pretty disgusting character. Back to the text. Let the charwoman alone to be the first, cried she who had entered first. Let the laundress alone to be the second. And let the undertaker's man alone to be the third. Look here, old Joy, here's a chance. Old Joe, here's a chance. If we hadn't all three met here without meaning it, you couldn't have met in a better place, said old Joe, removing his pipe from his mouth. Come into the parlor. You were made free of it long ago, you know, and the other two ain't strangers. Stop till I shut the door of the shop. Ah, uh, how it screeks. There ain't such a rusty bit of metal in the place as its own hinges, I believe, and I'm sure there's no such old bones here as mine. <laughs> we're all suitable to our calling. We're well matched. Come into the parlor. Come into the parlor. The parlor was the space behind the screen of rags. The old man raked the fire together with an old stair rod, and having trimmed his smoky lamp, for it was night, with the stem of his pipe, he put it in his mouth again. Um, there's a little bit of a reference problem there. When it trimmed his smoky lamp with the stem of his pipe, he put it in his mouth again. Now, presumably that was the pipe, but it could refer back to the smoky lamp. Uh, probably just a slight error on, on Dickens' part, not to make it, uh, it very clear. He can't mean that he put the lamp into his mouth. Back to the text. What odds then? What odds, Mr. Dilber, said the woman. Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed, said the laundress. No man more so. Why then, don't stand there staring as if you were as afraid, woman. Who's the wiser? We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs. Dilber and the man together. We should hope not. Very well, then, cried the woman. That's enough. Who's the worse for a few for the loss of a few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs. Dilber, laughing. If you wanted to keep him after he was dead, a wicked old screw, pursued the woman. Why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd have had someone to look after him and he was stuck with death, Captain Liberty, instead of lying, gasping out there, his last alone, alone by himself. So she said he should have been nicer and someone might have been uh, with him when he died. Back to the text. It's the truest word that ever was spoke, said Mrs. Dilber. It's a judgment on him. I wish it was a little heavier judgment, replied the woman. And it should have been, you may depend on it, if I could have laid my hands on anything else. Open that bundle, oh, Joe, Joe, and let me know the value of it. Speak out plain. I'm not afraid to be the first, nor afraid for them to see it. We know pretty well that we were helping ourselves before we met here, I believe. It's no sin. Open the bundle, Joe. 
But the gallantry of her friends would not allow this, and the man in faded black, mounting the breach first, produced his plunder. It was not extensive. A seal or two, a pencil case, a pair of sleeve buttons, and a brooch of no great value were all. They were severely, severally examined and appraised by old Joe, who chalked the sums he was disposed to give for each upon the wall, and added them up into the total when he found there was nothing more to come. That's your account, said Joe, and I wouldn't give another sixpence if I was to be boiled for not doing it. Who's next? Mrs. Dilber was next. Sheets and towels, a little wearing apparel, two old-fashioned silver teaspoons, a pair of sugar tongs, and a few boots. Her account was stated on the wall in the same manner. I always give too much to ladies. It's a weakness of mine, and that's the way I ruin myself, said old Joe. That's your account. If you asked me for another penny and made it an open question, I'd repent of being so liberal and knock off half a crown. And now undo my bundle, Joe, said the first woman. Joe went down on his knees for the greater convenience of opening it, and having unfastened a great many knots, dragged out a large and heavy roll of some dark stuff. What do you call this, said Joe? Bed curtains? Ah, returned the woman, laughing and leaning forward on her crossed arms. Bed curtains. You don't mean to say you took them down, rings and all, with him lying there, said Joe. Yes, I do, replied the woman. Why not? You were born to make your fortune, said Joe, and you'll certainly do it. I certainly shan't hold my hand when I can get anything in it by reaching it out. For the sake of such a man as he was, I promise you, Joe, retorted the woman coolly. Don't drop that oil upon the blankets now. His blankets, asked Joe. Who else do you think, replied the woman. He isn't likely to take cold without him, I dare say. I hope he didn't die of anything catching, huh, said old Joe, stopping in his work and looking up. Don't you be afraid of that, returned the woman. I ain't so fond of his coming that I loiter about him for such things if he did. Ah, you may look through that shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find a hole in it, nor a threadbare place. It's the best he had, and a fine one, too. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What'd you call wasting of it? asked old Joe. Put it on and be buried in, to be sure, replied the woman with a laugh. Somebody was fool enough to do it, but I took it off again. If calico ain't good enough for such a purpose, it isn't good enough for anything. It's quite as becoming to the body. He can't look uglier than he did in that one. Scrooge listened to this dialogue in horror as they sat grouped about their spoil in the scanty light afforded by the old man's lamp. He viewed them with a detestation and disgust, which could hardly have been greater, though they had been obscene demons marketing the corpse itself. Ha <laughs> ha, laughed the same woman when old Joe produced a flannel bag with money in it and told out their several gains upon the ground. This is the end of it, you see. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he was dead. <laughs> Spirit, said Scrooge, shuddering from head to foot. I see, I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way now. Merciful heaven, what is this? Uh, capital letter M in merciful and capital letter H in heaven. He recoiled, in, he recoiled in terror, for the scene had changed, and now he almost touched a, a bed, a bare, uncurtained bed, on which beneath a ragged sheet there lay a something covered up, which, though it was dumb, announced itself in awful language. The room was very dark, too dark to be observed with any accuracy, though Scrooge glanced around it in obedience to his secret impulse, anxious to know what kind of room it was. A pale light rising in the outer air fell straight upon the bed and on it plundered, plundered and bereft, unwatched, unwept, uncared for, was the body of this man. Okay, this is usually not portrayed that Scrooge sees his own uh, death. They usually uh, wait for the, the grave scene for him to see it is actually him, and sometimes a dramatic effect of 
him not knowing, knowing, but not knowing for certain that it was his own death that was being uh, shown to him. Back to the text. The room was very dark, too dark to be observed with any accuracy. Thus Scrooge glanced around it in obedience to a secret impulse. Anxious to know what kind of room it was, a pale light rising in the outer air fell straight upon the bed, and on it plundered and bereft, unwatched, unwept, uncared for, was the body of this man. Scrooge glanced toward the phantom. Its steady hand was, head, hand was pointed to the head. The cover was so carelessly adjusted that the slightest raising of it, the motion of a finger upon Scrooge's part, would have disclosed the face. He thought of it, how, felt how easy it would be to do and longed to do it, but had no more power to withdraw the veil than to dismiss the specter at his side. Oh, cold, cold, rigid, dreadful death, set up thy altar here and dress it with such terrors as thou hast at thy command, for this is thy dominion. But of the loved, revered, and honored head, thou canst not turn one hair to thy dread purposes, or make one feature odious. It is not that thy hand is heavy and will fall down, when released it is not that the heart and pulse are still but that the hand was open generous and true the heart brave warm and tender and the pulse of man's strike shadow strike and see his good deeds springing from the wound to sow the world with life immortal so uh dickens seems to be saying that uh, a good man if he's dead he's still dead but it's not the same kind of death and that um uh, sort of a, a nobility and goodness will show through, uh, even even through death. A um, couple of interesting capitalizations here. Death, in the first line of this paragraph, is capitalized. The was, all three letters, W-A-S, are all capitalized. And a shadow is also, uh, has one capital letter, the capital letter S. Back to the text. No voice pronounced these words in Scrooge's ears, and yet he heard them when he looked upon the bed. He thought, if this man could be raised up now, what would be his foremost thoughts? Avarice, hard-dealing, griping cares. They have brought him to a rich end, truly. He lay in the dark, empty house, and not a man, a woman, or a child, to say that he was kind to me in this or that. And for the memory of one kind word, I will be kind to him. A cat was tearing at the door, and there was a sound of gnawing rats beneath the hearthstone. What they wanted in the room of death and why they were so restless and disturbed, Scrooge did not dare to think. Spirit, he said, this is a fearful place, and leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson. Trust me, let us go. Still the ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you, Scrooge returned, and I would do it if I could, but I have not the power, Spirit. I have not the power. Again, it seemed to look upon him. If there is any person in the town who feels emotion caused by this man's death, said Scrooge, quite agonized, show that person to me, spirit. I beseech you. The phantom spread its dark robe before him for a moment like a wing, and withdrawing it, revealed a room by daylight, where her mother and her children were. She was expecting someone, and with anxious eagerness, for she walked up and down the room, started at every sound, looked out from the window, glanced at the clock, tried but in vain to work with her needle and could hardly bear the voices of the children in their play. At length, the long-expected knock was heard. She hurried to the door and met her husband, a man whose face was careworn and depressed, though he was young. There was a remarkable expression in it now, a kind of serious delight, of which he felt ashamed. 
and which he struggled to express, repress. He sat down to the dinner that had, that had been hoarding for him by the fire, and when she asked him faintly what news, which was not until after a long silence, he appeared embarrassed how to answer. Is it good, she said, or bad to help him? Bad, he answered. We are quite ruined. No, there's hope yet, Caroline. If he were lent, she said, amazed. There is. Nothing is past hope if such a miracle has happened. He is past relenting, said her husband. He is dead. She was a mild and patient creature if her face spake, spoke true, but she was thankful in her soul to hear it, and she said so with clasped hands. She prayed forgiveness the next moment and was sorry, but the first was the emotion of her heart. What the half-drunken woman who I told you of last night said to me when I tried to see and obtain a week's delay, and what I thought was a mere excuse to avoid me, turns out to have been quite true. He was not only very ill, but dying then. To whom will our debt be transferred? I don't know. But before that time, she will, we shall be ready with the money. And even though we were not, it will be his bad fortune indeed to find so. It would be a bad fortune indeed to find so merciless a creditor in his, in his successor. We may sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. Yes, soften it as they would. Their hearts were lighter. The children's faces hushed and clustered round to hear what they so little understood were brighter. And it was a happier house for this man's death. The only emotion that the ghost could show him caused by the event was one of pleasure. Um, this is not usually portrayed either in the productions of Christmas Carol that I can remember. There was a musical version of A Christmas Carol. I think Albert Finney played Scrooge in that. It came out in the late 60s. And this was sort of generally done where um, it was a rousing musical number uh, where one of Scrooge's many... Um, debtors sang a song thank you very much the scrooge heard it and didn't realize that uh, that it was uh, for his death uh, but it had the uh, the celebrations they were carrying his his coffin through the streets of london and uh and rejoicing at his death but he was oblivious so it doesn't have the quite same pathos if you will uh, as as what we've just read back to the text let me see some tenderness connected with a death said scrooge or that dark chamber spirit, which we just left now, will be ever present for me, will be forever present to me. The ghost conducted him through several streets familiar to his feet, and as they went along, Scrooge looked here and there to find himself, but nowhere was he to be seen. Okay, there could be a bit of a double meaning there. Several streets familiar to his feet. Was that the ghost of uh, death uh, that was familiar to, or Scrooge? Uh, Probably Scrooge, but uh, there could be a slight double meaning there. Uh, back to the text. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house, the dwelling he had visited before, and found the mother and children seated around the fire. Okay, this is always portrayed in uh, productions of Christmas Carol. Quiet, very quiet. The noisy little Cratchits were as still as statues in one corner. And sat looking up at Peter, who had a book before him. The mother and her daughters were engaged in sewing, but surely they were very quiet. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. Okay, and that's, that's uh, from the Gospels when the disciples were uh, arguing about who was greatest. Christ took a child and set it in the midst of him. There's a tradition that that child was uh, St. Ignatius, and St. Ignatius Day is December 20th. So maybe that's why they were reading this Gospel. 
Back to the text. Where had Scrooge heard these words? He had not dreamed them. The boy must have read them out as he and the spirit crossed the threshold. Why did he not go on? The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. The color hurts my eyes, she said. The color. Uh, poor tiny Tim. They're better now again, said Cratchit's wife. It makes them weak by candlelight. And I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. It must be near his time. Okay. Uh, interesting. Obviously, Tiny Tim has died, and um, who knows? Maybe he even died on the same day that, that Scrooge did. The two do seem to be linked somehow. Um, and when Cratchit's wife said it must be near his time, um, maybe a foreshadowing of Bob's own death. Back to the text. Past it, brother, Peter answered, shutting up his book. Uh, the book, of course, is supposed to be the Bible. But I think he has walked a little slower than he used these last few evenings, mother. They were very quiet again. And last she said in a steady, cheerful voice, it only faltered once. I have known him walk with I have known him walk with tiny Tim upon his shoulder very fast indeed. And so have I, cried Peter often. And so have I, exclaimed another, so at all. But he was very light to carry, she resumed, intent upon her work. And his father loved him so, that it was under no trouble, no trouble. And there's your father at the door. She hurried out to meet him, and little Bob and his comforter, he had need of it, poor fellow, came in. Okay, he needs a comforter, he needs to be comforted. And also, um, it's cold, and so that's why uh, he, he would need that. Um, this very sorrowful coming in contrasts so much uh, with uh, the scene that the ghost of, of Christmas present um, showed to Scrooge upon the, the Cratchit's uh, Christmas feast when Bob came home from work. She hurried out to meet him, and little Bob and his comforter, he had need of it, poor fellow, came in. His tea was ready for him on the hob. They all tried who should help him to it most. Then the two young Cratchits got upon. Then the two young Cratchits got upon his knees and laid each child uh, a little cheek against his face, as if they said, "Don't mind it, father. Don't be grieved." Bob was very cheerful with him and spoke pleasantly to all the family. He looked at the work upon the table and praised the industry and speed of Mrs. Cratchit and the girls. They would be done long before Sunday, he said. "Sunday, you went today, then, Robert," said his wife. "Yes, my dear. I wish you could have gone." Um, they don't say so, but I suppose they might be, uh, uh, have been sewing a shroud, uh, for Tiny Tim. Yes, my dear, returned Bob. I do wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is, but you'll see it often. I promised him that I would walk there on a Sunday. My little, little child, cried Bob, my little child. He broke down all at once. He couldn't help it. If he could have helped it, he and his child would have, would have been father of, farther apart, perhaps, than they were. He left the room and went upstairs to the room above, which was lighted cheerfully and hung with Christmas. There was a chair set close beside the child, and there were signs of someone having been there lately. Poor Bob sat down on it, and when he had thought a little and composed himself, he kissed the little face. He was reconciled to what had happened and went down again, quite happy. So they had uh, apparently laid little little tiny Tim out um, in his bed. That was the way it was usually done. They didn't take the body away immediately like uh, like we do nowadays. Um, and they were probably preparing it for burial. And uh, 
Uh, it might be awake of some sort or keep vigil um, over the body. Back to the text. They drew about the fire and talked, the girls and mother working still. Bob told him of the extraordinary kindness of Mrs. Scrooge, Mr. Scrooge's nephew, whom he had scarcely seen but once, and who meeting him in the street that day and seeing that he looked a little, just a little down, you know, said Bob, inquired what had happened to distress him. On which, said Bob, for he is the pleasantest broken gentleman you ever heard, I told him. I'm hardly sorry for it, Mr. Cratchit, he said, and hardly sorry for your good wife. By the by, how did he ever know that? I don't know. Knew what, my dear? That you were a good wife, replied Bob. Everybody knows that, said Peter. Very well observed, my boy, cried Bob. I hope they do. Hardly sorry, he said, for your good wife. If I can be of service to you in any way, he said, giving me his card. That's where I live. Pray come to me. Now, it wasn't, cried Bob, for the sake of anything that he might be able to do for us, so much as for his kind way, and that was quite delightful. It really seemed as if he had known our tiny Tim and felt with us. I'm sure he's a good soul, said Mrs. Cratchit. You'll be sure of it, my dear, returned Bob, if you saw and spoke to him. I shouldn't be at all surprised. Mark what I say, if he got Peter a better situation. Only hear that, Peter, said Mrs. Cratchit. And then cried one of the girls, Peter will be keeping company with someone and setting up for himself. Get along with you, retorted Peter, grinning. It's just as likely as not, said Bob, one of these days. So there's plenty of time for that, my dear. But however and whenever we part from one another, I'm sure shall none of us forget poor tiny Tim, shall we? Or this first parting that was among us. Never, father, cried they all. And I know, said Bob, I know, my dears, that when we recollect how patient and how mild he was, although he was a little, little child, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget poor tiny Tim in doing it. No, never, father, they all cried again. I am very happy, said little Bob. I am very happy. Mrs. Cratchit kissed him. His daughters kissed him. The two young Cratchits kissed him, and Peter and himself shook hands. Spirit of tiny Tim, thy childish essence was from God. Spectre, said Scrooge, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me what man was that whom we saw lying dead. The ghost of Christmas yet to come conveyed him as before, though through a different time, he thought, indeed, there seemed no order in these latter visions, save they were in the future, into the resorts of businessmen, but showed him not himself. Indeed, the spirit did not stay for anything, but went straight on, as to the end just now desired, until besought by Scrooge to tarry for a moment. This court, said Scrooge, through which we hurry now, is where my place of occupation is, and has been for a length of time. I see the house. Let me behold what I shall be in days to come. The spirit stopped. The hand pointed elsewhere. The house is yonder, Scrooge exclaimed. Why do you point away? The inexorable figure, finger underwent no change. Scrooge hastened to the window of his office and looked in. It was an office still, but not his. The furniture was not the same, and the figure in the chair was not himself. The phantom pointed as before. He joined it once again, and wondering why and whither he had gone, accompanied it till they, until they reached an iron gate. He paused to look around before entering a churchyard. Here, then, the wretched, wretched man whose name he had now to learn lay underneath the ground. It was a worthy place, walled in by houses overrun by grass and weeds, the growth of vegetation's death, not life. Choked up with too much bearing, fat with a repleted appetite, a worthy place. Okay, so the ground itself is fat with all the bodies that uh, 
as consumed that are lying there. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one, capital letter O and one. He advanced towards it, trembling. The phantom was exactly as it had been, but he dreaded now that he saw new meaning in its solemn shape. Before I draw nearer to that stone to which you point, said Scrooge, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be? Capital letter W and will. Are they the shadows of things that may be only? Capital letter M and may. Still the, script, the ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which if persevered in, they must lead, said Scrooge. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me. So I guess uh, Scrooge was not a Calvinist then. He did believe in free will and that it could change destiny by our actions. Back to the text. The spirit was immovable as ever. Scrooge kept towards it, trembling as he went, and following the finger, read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. And that's all in caps. Back to the text. Am I the man who lay upon the bed? He cried upon his knees. Um, the finger pointed from the grave to him and back again. No, spirit. Oh, no, no. The finger still was there. Spirit, he cried, tight clutching at his rope. Hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been. Let me read that again. I will not be the man I must have been, but for this intercourse. Why show me this if I am past? Why show me this if I am past all hope? Well, let me try to read that again. It's a pretty good. This is almost in all productions. Spirit, he cried, tight clutching at its robe. Hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been, but for this intercourse. Why show me this if I am past all hope? And next time we'll find out if Scrooge is past all hope. Until then, God bless us, everyone.